Hello, this is Chandler Jones, and thank you so much for joining us for this week's podcast. The heart of this podcast is to provide you with inspired preaching and teaching from God's Word that will help you boldly live for Jesus. If you haven't already, I would love for you to subscribe today to this podcast so you won't miss the latest messages. Let's go right into the service recorded at Compassion Church Radford. I believe it will be a blessing to you today. I would ask us, let's do this, if you don't mind. Because of, because of the nature of this message, why don't we just take a quick second and we're gonna pray. Can we do that? Lord God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We know that it's your Holy Spirit that works in us and through us, and, and it's the Holy Spirit that touches our hearts and causes us to see where we need to repent and, and uh, to see our need for you. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit that draws us close to you. And so we just, we, I want to reiterate what we've already heard. Have your way, Lord. Holy Spirit of God, you are welcome here to do what you want. Help me to speak only what you would have me to speak. And, and may your word fall on good ground in these good people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen, amen. So let's do a little bit of a recap. Let's back up just a little bit. In Genesis chapter 1, we're not going to cover the whole thing. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates everything and he makes mankind. How many of you are with me so far? Look at the person beside you and say, he has dominion. All right, now look, you ain't nobody in here a ventriloquist, right? Y'all got to play along a little bit. I mean, getting involved in church is something else that encourages the people that are speaking. So look at the other person beside you and say, God has dominion. And we're created in verse 42 in his image. Uh, God says, at that point, I'm going to give man dominion. How many of you remember that part of the story? God gives man dominion. Okay. So we talk about all of these things that the Lord has given us dominion over. And when you say everything, that's a lot. We're not going to talk about everything tonight. What we are going to talk about is dominion in our relationships. Dominion in our relationships. Statistically, we're going to interact with anywhere between 500 to 2,500 people in one year. And you think, well, why such a big difference? Not all of us are extroverts. Right? 500 people might be a stretch for some of us. Tonight, somebody might be here, and this number is stretching you. But we're going to meet anywhere between 500 to 2,500 people in a year. And 40% of our time is going to be spent with around five of those people. Now, what I hope we get to tonight, what I hope this causes us to, to begin to really examine is what types of relationships are those. And now the thing is, is, is the Word of God doesn't just challenge us to examine the relationships in our own lives. As parents, as husband and wife, the Word of God also commissions us to examine the relationships in our spouse's life. And if you're a parent, our kids' lives. Are you with me? Okay. Turn in your Bibles, Proverbs 24. Proverbs chapter 24, or on your fancy electronic device. Proverbs 24. We're going to look at verses 1 through 2, and we're going to look at 5 through 7. Yes, we're, just, we're going to skip a couple of verses, but that's because we don't have all night. 
Proverbs 24, starting in verse one, it says, do not envy the evil. Do not desire their company. For their hearts plot violence and their lips talk about making trouble. Verse five says, the wise prevail through great power and those who know knowledge muster their strength. Surely you need guidance to wage war and victory is won through many advisors. And then verse seven, wisdom is too high for fools. In the assembly at the gate, they, the fools, must not open their mouths. Tonight, what we're going to look at in the short time that we have are the three types of people that are in the world. There are evil people. You can see that. Look in verse, look in verse 1 of 24. Do not envy the evil. That's the first type of person we're going to look at. The second type of person we're looking at is in verse 5. It is the wise and then in verse 7, we're going to look at the fools. There are evil people, foolish people, and there are wise people. Now, of these three wonderful categories, how many of you think, no, which one of these categories do you think most people fall under? It's okay. Anybody? Sign language? Fools, thank you. The foolish, absolutely. And that's absolutely true. And you'll, you'll understand more about that in just a minute. There are certain areas in our lives where all of us are strong and have wisdom. And there are areas in our lives where all of us are foolish. The goal tonight, the goal tonight is to clearly understand which is which. And to clearly know based on who you are and the people that are surrounding you, the actions that you need to take tonight once you leave this place. And maybe even when it comes to you tonight before you leave this place. I think that society, I think the enemy's worked very hard to gray these lines, to blur the lines. The Bible says that in the last days that people would call evil good and good evil. Right? Are we seeing any of that right now? I believe that the Holy Spirit of God is going to clarify what is evil He's going to clarify what is a foolish, and he's going to clarify what's wise. So let me, I, I'm, I'm gathering my thoughts here. Forgive me. Haven't we been taught, treat everybody the same? And to that I say, no. You don't treat everybody the same. How do I know? As a dad, if I've got a wise person, a wise young man that shows up at my door or an evil young man that shows up at my door, I'm not flipping a coin to figure out which one she's going with. With your money. You're not going to entrust your savings to a fool. The Bible actually says that a fool and his money would soon be departed. Y'all know that scripture, right? So you're not going to do that. We get caught up in these things that sound really good and really cute and really fluffy, but they are evil. Amen. They corrupt the word of God. They, they, they milk toast the word of God. And I apologize if you like milk toast. And so tonight we're going to look at how to clarify. These three categories. Let's look at, first of all, let's look at evil people. And if you're taking your notes, maybe just give me a sign if you want me to slow down. Um, 
We're going to kind of go through this fast because there are some characteristics that I want to pay particular attention to. There might be some things that you hear as we talk, again, that might be self-reflective. And then again, it might also be something that shines light on the people that you've surrounded yourself with. Evil people are not beyond help. They're just beyond your help. You're not going to date anybody into the kingdom of God. You're not going to marry somebody into the kingdom of God. Your goodness is not good enough to win somebody into the kingdom of God, especially an evil person. An evil person. Think of Saul, right? Saul is traveling. He's killing Christians. He's throwing Christians in jail. How many of you would agree that's evil when you're killing God's people? Saul was evil. It took not somebody witnessing to him and living a good life in front of him. It took Jesus showing him up, punching him in the mouth, and knocking him off his high horse. Can you think of anybody that might be evil? Let's look at some of these characteristics. Uh, first of all, let me declare that men and women are not all basically good. How do, I, how do I know that? Romans chapter 3 clarifies it when it says, There are none righteous, no, not one. Also goes on to say, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It didn't say when you turn seven, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You were literally born into sin. How do I know that? Because your mom and your dad were sinful. You were born into sin. There's nobody righteous. There's no, they're basically good people. Most people are, are also not purely evil either. There's probably only a very small percentage of people that are evil, purely evil in the world. But we have seen recently that they're there. Anybody that plots and schemes in secret to murder women, to rape women and murder children is evil. The whole time, basically saying how great their God is. There are purely evil people in the world. Fortunately, the percentage of those guys and those girls is very small. Evil people, have, are, they're malicious and they're intentional. They're not accidentally evil. You don't oops into an evil situation. These evil people are likely broken. They've been through a lot of hardships in their lives. Maybe they had an abusive, adulterous mom or dad, and it scarred them. It hurt them. And now they conduct themselves as if they have a right to be bitter and angry. And I don't say these things lightly. I don't say these things, at least I hope I'm not, as being insensitive, because I know those are very real situations that a lot of us face. Hurting people hurt people. Evil people are always the victim, and they're indignant when you confront them about it. They control people through the fear of punishment. If you don't do what I want, 
If you don't do what I say, and I'm not, and for the kids in the room, I ain't talking about mom and dad telling you to do something. I'm talking about manipulation to the highest degree. Manipulation in the Bible is witchcraft. They're controlling and they're demanding. They're domineering and they're intimidating. They control people through that fear of punishment. They're, a relationship with an evil person is anxious and stressful. In fact, with, especially with the holidays coming up, I know a lot of you have already thought about this. There are certain people that you're going to try to avoid. Evil people are low on compassion, low on empathy, and they live in the power of the demonic. I'll say something. God has your best interest at heart, and he commissions his angels to care for you. How many of you know that? How many of you know the devil also has angels? Anything that I say about evil or the enemy isn't to glorify him, it's to expose him. Because once he's exposed, we have an opportunity to deal with him. You're not accidentally evil. Little by little, little by little, decisions are made. Evil people are self-deceived and they're masters at deceiving others. In fact, evil people will even convince you that you're crazy, that it's your fault they are the way they are. Jesus had such a person on his team. Can anybody think of who it was? Judas. You think, oh no, Judas was fulfilling the plan of God. Well, God didn't make him do those things. It worked in the plan of God. But what Judas did, his plans, caused Jesus to be arrested, beaten, crucified. Some of you guys have seen evil firsthand, maybe in your, as your business partner. Took everything, squeezed all they could out of the relationship. Maybe it was a friendship. You thought you were friends. And, then, and now, looking back at it, you see how, how horribly lopsided this thing was. It was always about them. They always took, 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 and never gave anything back. You might have thought that about your marriage. I thought we were married. I thought we were on the same page. How many of you know that the enemy can, he can play games and act a good part for a little while, right? He can even present himself as an angel of light. The Bible tells us that. Don't you think he could show up like a good boyfriend? And I'll speak this directly, and I know I'm trying to, I'm trying to actually make sure, and we are going to come out of this, so y'all just, y'all hang on, but this is necessary. Truth catches us by the throat and forces us to look at something that may, not, that may be uncomfortable, but it's the truth that sets you free. Not the half truth, not just the stuff that makes us feel great, not the stuff that we necessarily shout over, but this is the kind of truth that brings victory. This is the kind of truth the Holy Spirit uses to deliver you. 
as men, doorways in our homes spiritually. Did you know that? We are the spiritual doorway of our home. As men, we need to be aware of those that we love's relationships. And we don't need to be paranoid. We need to be discerning. There's a big difference. We need to be discerning about the kind of relationships that our kids have. Who are they hanging out with? It's your right as a parent. It's your, change that. It is your responsibility. Your God-given responsibility to know. Trust me. Little sweet, little sweet honey and, and, and great little buddy, they have no clue what it takes to make a real friendship. They're just getting started. How many of you are with me so far? Listen, we, as a society, we have punted our responsibility when it comes to parenting for the sake of being our little, our little girl or our son's best friends. They don't need a best friend. They need somebody who's going to teach them the word of God and show them that life can be hard, but this is how you continue to walk with Jesus. And I'm more concerned about what God thinks of me than what you think of me. We'll get into that in just a second. It's all right. We're coming around. <laughs> We're coming around. My daughter's like, you better move on. Better move on. Guys, it's no wonder that the enemy has, through media and so many different outlets, tried to minimize the role of a man in a home. Tried to stereotype one knuckle dragger into all of us. We have a role to play, vital role to play in our families. You know, you think even about your spouse, and I thought about this with Candy and I. We need to know who each other's friends are too because there may be somebody in her circle that I don't agree with. What do you mean? Well, what if it's a bitter woman who's angry at men? She gonna lift her up and encourage her in her marriage? No, probably not. And what if she looks into my relationships and my little circle of friends and I've got a couple of dudes that I'm, that I'm confiding in that think a little flirting's okay? Candy and I have been talking about this off and on. We better be willing to get into the uncomfortable places of a relationship and face the truth together. Be willing and open to have tough conversations that could involve emotion for the sake of God having victory in our lives. Your children become who they spend time with. Don't think for a moment that the enemy isn't scheming about who he could put in their lives to lead them astray. It matters who they spend the night with. Do you know if there's issues with that uncle living in the basement or the brother with a pornography addiction? It does matter who they spend their time with, who they're subjected to. It matters. And it may mean you saying no until you find out. But you don't want to find out after. Again, discerning and not paranoid. Second Timothy says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, joy, and a sound mind. How many of you heard that scripture? Amen. Absolutely. Philippians chapter four, be anxious in nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God and the peace of God passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. So what I'm telling you tonight isn't to be like this woe is me. This isn't some pumped up Halloween message supposed to scare the tar out of you. You walk out of here, you know, with your hands shaking. It's simply saying this is what evil looks like 
in our lives, and we've all experienced it, and we need to call it what it is. How many of you know God is greater than what you're going through? How many of you also know God would not bring you to this point of recognition just to leave you here? He's going to bring you out. Amen. And the cool thing about what God does is it ain't just about you. It's about the legacy behind you. Your life isn't just about your life. Your life is about the people who come after you. Now, we talked about some evil people. Let's talk about foolish people. Now, foolish people, foolish people can be fun. <laughs> Pastor Shannon was the only one that thought that, that thought that was true. How many of y'all know foolish people can be fun? It's, you know, you've got those guys, those girls in your life, they would do anything for a dollar. You give them a dollar and they drink the whole thing of Tabasco sauce, right? <clears throat> I was thinking about that, and I couldn't help but think we had this tradition when we would go on youth trips. We would go to the Pepper Palace at some point during these, during these youth trips, and we would dare each other to try the hottest thing they possibly had. Now, you know it's hot when you have to sign the waiver. I will not sue you when I bleed internally. You know what I mean? And your pastor was right there beside me. I thought about showing that video. I thought about showing the video. He, your pastor, first of all, he was wearing a beret. And I want to just declare that is not fashionable. That video is for sale. We're doing a fundraiser with that one. But in this video, he's tried this hot sauce because the other guys that are with us are trying the hot sauce, and your pastor turns white as a ghost. And on the video, when I rewatched it, I said, oh my God, we've killed Liz's son. <laughs> Foolish people can be fun. <laughs> they can be fun. Foolish people can also have a high IQ. Foolish people can have a high IQ and choose not to use it so that somebody else will have to take care of them. Smart enough to know they don't have to lift a finger because somebody else will do it. They choose to act stupid. I had one teacher tell me one time, there's no such thing as stupid. Yes, there is. I've met him. They choose to act stupid so other people will lower their expectations and take care of them. They choose not to be responsible because they know that the overly responsible people in their lives are just going to fall behind it and do it for them. These are people who get others to pay their rent because they spent their money on other things. These are people like a man who doesn't spend time with his own kids and everybody else is having to raise them. Foolish people care mostly about what benefits them and not about what burdens others. Not all foolish people are stupid, but some are. These folks are well-liked. Foolish people are well-liked, but they're not well-respected. Foolish people are not resources. You're not going to go to a foolish person and ask them how to help you out of your addiction. You're not going to ask them how to stand with Jesus when your grandmama dies. 
They confuse. Foolish people confuse being light with being a good person. Pain. Pain is the only motivator for a fool. Some foolish people have to hit rock bottom in order to change. If you have a son or a daughter who is consumed with foolishness, you are going to need to let them feel the pain of their decisions. He might have to go hungry. It might be a good thing that she broke up with him. If they do not feel the pain of their decisions, they will never become a man or a woman who takes responsibility. This is tough. This is stepping on toes. Because I guarantee you there's someone in here and you wouldn't be alone where you've been covering for a fool. And I'll even say it this way. A little bit of pain today can keep them from feeling a whole lot of pain later. In fact, I'll even go one step further. It's like the Holy Spirit's pushing. Too many times, we get in God's way in the life of a fool for the sake of being God. We want to fix it. We want to be the reason that they come out of who they are, who, what they're acting like right now. That was never your job. We've got to be careful not to get in his way. Fools are impetuous and they do not make plans. The natural drift for people who are foolish is not going to be to become wise. They will not accidentally become wise, but they can become evil. Have you ever seen a person in your life that started off just foolish, right? I can think of a couple of guys in high school. They started off just being those crazy kind of party guys. They would do whatever, say whatever, and everybody would laugh. And then as their life progressed and unfolded, they didn't trend towards wisdom. They got darker and darker. Can anybody else relate to what I'm saying? You don't naturally drift from foolishness into wisdom. You drift into evil. And that's why the enemy wants to keep us foolish. The longer you cover for a fool, the more likely that drift. Do you know someone who's doing that? Who's living that way? If Judas, think about this too. If Judas was the evil guy in Jesus' and his disciples, who was the fool? Peter. Why? Why was Peter the fool? He did do that. Hmm? Mark chapter 16, Peter picks up Jesus after Jesus says it was necessary for him to die. And Peter picks him up, takes him aside and rebukes him and says, you will not do that. That didn't sound like wisdom. Telling the creator of all the universe... The word made flesh, you're wrong. That's not going to happen. And he even did it with a good intention. Nobody's going to kill you, Lord, right? I mean, his, in his mind, he's thinking what I just said was good. I don't want Jesus to die. How many of you would agree if you were in that moment? That seems reasonable. 
But if Jesus just told you it was necessary for him to die, it seems foolish after the fact to try to convince him that he's not. Luke chapter 22, you know the story. Peter denies Jesus three times to the point of even cursing. A little girl questioning him, aren't you one of his disciples? I, you look familiar. And it goes to the point where not only does Peter deny him, but Peter also begins to cuss. We do this. We do this at work. We do this at the store. We do this in some of the craziest places because we don't want to seem awkward. We want to impress these people. We desperately want to fit in here. And so we don't talk about Jesus. We don't talk about what's right. We don't talk about the word of God. We get embarrassed. And the caution in Luke chapter 9 is, he says, if you are ashamed of me before men, the Son of Man will be ashamed of, ashamed of you before the Father. I can't imagine that he necessarily said it that passionately. Maybe for him it was more pleading. It was more, listen, if you're ashamed of me here, if you can't get over that and, and just begin to serve me, love me, live for me, trust me to empower you in those moments when I need you to speak, if we can't get over that, then I'm not going to be able to declare you in front of the Father. Now, and I'm almost done, I promise. How are we doing on time? I don't even know what time it is. Okay. There seems to be kind of a fine line between a fool and someone who's foolish and someone who's evil. If we take this circumstance, like with Peter, right? He's denied Jesus. And so wouldn't you kind of think, that sounds evil. What's the difference between someone who's foolish and someone who's evil. If you look at the situation, it's the fact that Peter owns it. He acknowledges the fact that he was wrong. He, was, he acknowledges the fact that he blew it, and he's repentant. Evil people aren't repentant. They're not sorry. They never apologize. But a fool can repent. I don't know about you, but I was excited when I read that because I found myself in too many of these categories. I was excited to know that Jesus extended grace and an offer for repentance in spite of all the crazy junk Peter did to deny him. Jesus made a way for Peter, and Peter owned it. That's the difference between evil and foolish. The good news is for those of us who found ourselves in so many of those things in a foolish way, we can work towards becoming more wise. Look at how Peter finished. Now, he still had some hiccups along the way. How many of you know Peter got caught up in a little bit of racism later on in the ministry and had to be corrected, right? Paul goes, Paul goes and confronts Peter and goes, you're, you're lost your mind. I mean, I'm going to ad lib. I'm not going to do that. But the point is, when it came time and they came to get Peter because he was serving God, he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. They told him, we're going to crucify you, crucify you if you don't shut up. What does Peter do? He doesn't stop. He doesn't stop talking about Jesus. In fact, when it comes time and they pass sentence and he's going to be crucified, he says, I'm not even worthy to be crucified like my Lord. You turn me upside down. He finished well. 
He finished well. And the legacy that we continue to read today speaks volumes. Fools can be forgiven. Fools can be made wise. Now, lastly, let's look at some wise, please, some wisdom. Not everybody is wise in everything. It's all right if you look at him out of the corner of your eyes. It's all right. It's perfectly acceptable. And it's all right if he did that to you. Because let's face it, sometimes we puff ourselves up as an all-knowing. You know what I mean? Especially if the fool you're married to is more fool than you. And you're used to having to be right because he ain't. Or she ain't. We need to make a differentiation right away, though. Intelligence is not wisdom. There are a lot of evil, intelligent people. Intelligence is not wisdom. In fact, age does not equal wisdom. I know a whole lot of people that are older than I am and a whole lot less wise than I am. Age does not, is not an automatic. Wise people are teachable and they're honest. They admit when they're wrong and they apologize. Wisdom doesn't come from a book. That's what intelligence does. Wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. You cannot have wisdom if you do not have the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's not at work in your life, please do not think you are a wise man or a wise woman. Wise people live by the power of the Holy Spirit. That was the way it was intended. That's the reason Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away because when I do, I'm gonna send you the comforter. It's necessary. You can't be wise without the Holy Spirit. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He's our, he's our guide. He leads us into all things that the Lord would have us to do. That's how you become more wise. You spend time in the Word. You spend time talking to God himself. A couple of other things to consider, and we are almost done. I promise you that. You don't give an evil, an evil person anything. Just to, just to recap. You do not give an evil person anything. You don't give them your money. You don't give them your time. You don't give them your energy. You don't negotiate with evil. Ever heard the expression, we do not negotiate with terrorists? Where do you think that comes from? It's not the wisdom of a man. That's the wisdom of God. You don't negotiate with evil. Foolish people, what do they get? They get boundaries and consequences. Think about your typical parental role. Right? You understand that your children are still learning, so you set boundaries. This is far enough. These are my things. You, are all, you only have a room because I gave it to you. When you leave, this is mine. This will continue to be mine. You set boundaries, and there are consequences if those are, things aren't respected. If the boundaries aren't respected, there are consequences. Amen? The hardest, the hardest, hardest, hardest area to operate these things is going to be in your family. And my question tonight, as we begin to wrap up, who are you tolerating? Who are you making excuses for? Who are you working around? Because trust me, it will only get worse. And not only will they get worse, but so will you. Because you're operating outside of the will of God. Our closest relationships ought to be based on their character. Not on how much they make us laugh. It's your house. 
They're your kids. They're your spouse. And God has given you dominion in those areas of life. And I will tell you that if you don't exercise your dominion that God's given you and that he's expecting you to, to carry and to exercise, someone else will. In fact, you can almost count on a foolish person volunteering for the job. And you can be assured that evil's looking for its place. If you weren't head of the home, Satan is. There's no fence. There's no middle of the road. If, you're not have, if you don't have God-given dominion in your home, Satan does. Plain and simple. There are six kinds of relationships. And no, I'm not going to get into depth in all of these. In fact, I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're taking notes, and I, when I mention a foolish person, you could just write the letter F. If, if I mention the uh, wise, W, evil, E, okay? Let me give you an example. Wise people who marry foolish people equals a parental relationship. A wise woman who marries a foolish man becomes his mama. And this converse is the same for husbands. If the husband is the wise and the wife is the fool, then she's looking to him as a daddy, not as a husband. Now, number two, if a wise person marries an evil person, then you're looking at a distant relationship. If you engage, you will enrage. Evil people do not like being approached. They do not like being called out. Number three, a foolish person and a foolish person is codependency. If you need an illustration, this completely worked for me. If it doesn't work for you, forgive me. Dumb and dumber. Codependency. Or maybe, maybe this expression, the blind leading the blind. This could also be like your drinking buddies. You know, oh, we just get together and have a good time. Where do you leave Jesus? Number four, foolish, a foolish person and an evil person equals an abusive relationship. Foolish girl with an evil guy equals domestic abuse. To the point where she feels it's her fault for making him mad. That's evil. That's evil. Number five, evil plus evil equals a dangerous relationship. You do not invite them over for dinner. Trust me. As a matter of fact, you might want to move. Unless the Holy Spirit tells you to stay and take up arms against them. A lot of us have experienced an evil plus evil kind of relationship. Do you realize that it's not just your friends? It's also the people that you align yourself business-wise. They might have a lot of money, but if they're evil, you plus evil is never going to be anything good. Number six, wise plus was wise, a wise person and a wise person is a healthy relationship. It's a relationship where they give to each other. They're not waiting for the other to do something right first. They're taking the initiative because they're trusting the other person is following Jesus as well. And so they both get closer to him and they get closer to each other in the process. 
a wise person and a wise person. It is definitely worth your time to take your time. Find out who they are. Wisdom is something God wants for all of us, and we need to surround ourselves with people who are wise where we are not. It's another great way of becoming wise. If you want to get married, hang out with people who have a successful godly marriage, and you find out what that's like. If you're a young man and you want to know what it is to be a godly man, then find a godly man who's lived a successful life. I didn't say a perfect life, but a life that is, that's submitted to him, quick to repent, quick to forgive, find out how he walked with Jesus, and that's how you model your life. Same thing for the women. You don't know what it is to be a godly wife? Find someone and, who served her husband in spite of him so many times, trusted God for the outcome. That's who you want to be. We need to surround ourselves with people who are wise and strong in the areas we're not. And the converse is also true. It's our call to reach out to other people and help them. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get into that mess. That is so evil. That, that right there is evil. Why do you think the Lord left you here? We're supposed to minister to one another, iron sharpening iron. We're supposed to be out there helping each other, getting involved in each other's lives, not to be a busybody. But let's face it, a lot of us aren't going to chase down people. Here's my junk. Help me with it. It's not going to happen. We're going to have to press in a little bit. This amazing family that I'm seeing right here that I've seen on Sunday mornings, Y'all ought to be about each other's business. Not to expose, but to help. Listen, sometimes the burden is too much for one person. We're, we're meant to have community together. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says that, that they, they would study the word of the prophets and then they would, they would meet at each other's houses after they went to temple and they would eat dinner together. They spent time together. They did life together. It's not just go to church, check it off, and you go to your house and hide until Monday. It's, it's a matter of getting to know the people that you're sitting with. The good and the bad. And then using the wisdom God's shown you to minister to them. Because you're going to need it. That's how the body of Christ is supposed to look. That flaw in our culture right now in America that's been developed over so many years is a generation, each generation is having to reinvent the wheel are you familiar with that expression? Instead of, like you see in a lot of cultures, maybe in Europe or whatever, where everybody's still very heavily connected, very heavily involved, one generation to the next, and they're passing down what they've known, not just their last name, but what they've learned as they follow Jesus. But in America, it seems like we're disconnected, and this generation's having to learn how to reinvent the wheel because the other generation didn't say squat about it. The great news tonight, though, is that can end right here. If you're that older generation and you should have been reaching out and you should have been teaching and handing down and passing down and, and encouraging the, the generations to come, you can change it tonight. You can walk out that door full of the Holy Spirit and that can be different in your family. And if you're the younger generation, you had the benefit of starting with a firm foundation. That ought to encourage you. The expressions that I'm seeing don't look encouraging, though. Guys, this is, simply, this is simply God going, okay, wake up and let's look at this. Now, you've seen it. Get up and do something with it. Punch the enemy in the mouth on the way out. Why don't we do this? Bow your heads and close your eyes. If we can get the worship team, come on up.
Just something, maybe a little hum something, Lord, be all right. Come on. I know you ain't accustomed to that. Or just point to everybody else. Come and hum that last song you did. You don't need nobody. I've heard you sing. That's fine. It's between you and Jesus. Here's what we're going to do. Close your eyes and bow your heads. Close your eyes and bow your heads. Now, here's the thing. It's probably this range of emotions that's going on. And I want to tell you that what God is doing has nothing to do with your emotions. Your emotions have everything to do with what he's doing. Not the other way around. So tonight, maybe you found yourself, maybe you found yourself in an evil category. Maybe you just thought you knew him. Y'all, I'm going to tell you, there's plenty of church people who are right there with you. They went to church, but in the end, Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's bigger than going to church, y'all. It's relationship with Jesus. That's good, thank you, that's fine. So listen, if you find yourself there, just know tonight that it's the power of God that can set you free from that. And the Holy Spirit's here to do that very thing. If you find yourself maybe consumed in the foolish category, a whole lot like I did, you need to know tonight, just like Peter, Jesus extending repentance. All you have to do is own who you've been and then take it to him. For each of Peter's three denials, Jesus offered him a chance of repentance. He asked him, Peter, do you love me? There was an opportunity of redemption at every time Peter had denied him. That's the kind of Jesus that's reaching out to you tonight. And you're not alone. You're not alone. So Holy Spirit of God, we thank you that you're the one that ministers to our heart. You're the one that shows us where we're missing it. You're the, and you only do that not to rub our faces or our noses in it. You're doing it to expose the work of the enemy so that we can be healed up, so that we can be even closer to you. We can be even more effective for you. There is therefore now no condemnation. He's not here to beat you down. He's here to lift you up. He's here to set you free. That's why we meet on Sundays and Wednesday nights. If you would say, you know what, Greg, that's me. That's touched a chord in my heart. I don't even know all about it yet, but I just know that the Lord is dealing with me on this. Slip your hands up. Nobody's looking around. I see those. Yeah, I see those. You know, it's, Yes, you can make that decision privately just between you and the Lord. Please remember what he said if you're ashamed of me in front of men. And ain't nobody even looking around. If you're ashamed of him in front of men. And so, Father, we thank you. You see our hearts. You know what's going on inside of us. You know that this is not the end. This is just because we walk out these doors doesn't mean this is this issue is said and done, that it's put in the books and it's closed, put on a shelf. This is just the beginning of what you're trying to do in us when it comes to identifying evil in our lives and foolishness in our lives, when you're calling us to have dominion in the relationships in our lives, when you're telling us that we need to step up as moms and dads in our lives and the lives of our kids to do what's right in spite of how they may feel about us, to care about the ones that we love, our spouse so much that we even take a stand against an evil person that would use them and harm them. 
your work is complete and it's beautiful and we love you. Thank you for the hands that were raised and the sincerity in their hearts, Lord, and for those that weren't raised. Your word will not return void. And so we're excited about what you're doing. And we submit, painfully so, maybe even hesitantly so, but we submit and we say, go ahead. Go ahead, but I need your help. Increase our faith. We thank you, God, that you love us and you're for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says, amen. I really want to say thank you for joining us this week. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. It helps this podcast reach more people with the gospel of Jesus.